Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, let's start ourselves some tech gumbo for the day. Absolutely. Start off with the news and updates as we do enjoy doing. Starlink is now selling their dishes at Costco. This is a fascinating turnaround because it wasn't that long ago that the waiting list for the dishes was a million people deep. And they were only at a capacity for about 100,000 people. And so to go from a backlog of 10x to all of a sudden selling at Costco, what happened? Did they radically increase their capacity or did the demand fall that hard? Well, part of it is they're now close to 5,000 satellites, if they're not over the 5,000 mark. And they've got 2 million active users using Starlink around the world. So you've got a whole lot of people who were using it. You've got a lot more capacity globally and maybe not as many people on a wish list anymore. Obviously none. If you can for... $2,500 go out and, and get you a, a dish from Costco, then the service is $140 a month. But if you buy it from Costco, then you'll get two months free of your service. So, you know, that does chip away at the price a little bit if you're someone who's been on the bubble about this and live near Costco. But it is also worth pointing out that the 2 million users are an impressive number far short of the goal that was set for 2022 of 20 million users. So here we are two years after that number and still far below that projection, which was never really going to happen. I'd be curious to see if they've updated their projections and, and what they are now and, and going forward, how many more years, five, 10 years, before they actually hit that 20 million number. We will certainly be keeping an eye on that. But we'll also keep an eye on the fact that Starlink is trying to reduce its latency. They're trying to get it down under 20 milliseconds. The goal is to be able to support uh, Wi-Fi 6 uh, routers. 
And so Wi-Fi 6 is currently the best router speeds that exist. And it is about 20 millisecond latency from the satellite dish up to the satellite in space, which is incredibly fast. That's very good unless you are truly in an environment like this where it's a team's call that's you know back and forth video audio that has to be synced perfectly you're not going to notice that difference right now if you use the the speed test and most places in the u.s starlink is going to get you around 60 milliseconds of latency so they're trying to cut that basically by a by two-thirds Anything under 30 milliseconds, it's hard for the user to really notice that kind of difference. And when you get to that kind of speeds and they're trying to get to where they have, like you said, over the two to three million users, that's a powerful network at that point. Yeah. And so also to put that 20 millisecond number in perspective, a phone sits at about 30 and your computer sits at about 13. So they're looking to place it in between a, a standard, you know, computer hitting your your terrestrial internet and your uh, cellular internet. And so if they're able to hit and hold that number, that would be very impressive. Speaking of latency, lower latency at that, the IEEE has now ratified or certified Wi-Fi 7. Yes, as they pointed out, Wi-Fi 6 is the fastest currently available. Wi-Fi 7 is coming soon. It was certified and it was put on display at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show of 2024 in January. And it will be backwards compatible. So if you go out and buy a Wi-Fi 7 router, it will, Wi-Fi router, it will work on your tablets and smartphones and whatnot that are older versions. And the Wi-Fi 7 it's going to use a new technology called multiple link operation. The good news is that it does what it says in the label. A lot of times that internet and technology jargon can be pretty arcane and difficult to read. Well, this one is exactly what it sounds like. And so instead of picking either the 2.5 gigahertz or the 5 gigahertz, it'll do both. It'll go back and forth between both and that this actually should help provide faster speeds, along with uh, several other pieces of technology inside. Yeah, this is exciting. You know, this is, again, one of those reasons why you should update your Wi-Fi router. Don't sit there with, you know, the thing for four, five, six years at the house. Every three, four years at the most, go get the new Wi-Fi router. It's going to make things so much faster for everybody at the house. If you have multiple people hitting that Wi-Fi and and all everybody's streaming, you're definitely going to want this new Wi-Fi 7. Because the Wi-Fi Alliance expects 200 million devices to hit the market this year. Qualcomm, the silicon chip maker, says that there are 200 different models for devices like phones, PCs, and headsets that have been planned or have already launched. And so, you know, sometimes we talk about technology, we talk about it in, you know, one to two to three years away. This is coming, you know, by the time you're looking to make that push into the next model of your phone or of your computer or of your TV or a whatever device that hits the internet, check to see if there's a Wi-Fi 7 version because there just might be. Well, you hit on something there when that is going to really make a difference. Apple Vision Pro is launching in February. Their new virtual reality headset that is going to really, really be 
heavily dependent upon Wi-Fi speeds. And you get out to Wi-Fi 7 speeds with that reduced latency, able to use either of the 2.4 or the 5 gigahertz bandwidth. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to make using these VR and AR goggles that much better. Yes, because in addition, it's also going to have an even higher bandwidth of 6 gigahertz. And so you'll be at 2.55 and now 6. They're really doing everything in their power to push that signal as fast as possible, as many channels as possible, because whenever you're going to be using something like the Apple Vision Pro, which launches here soon, to communicate all that information, you're going to need more channels. And that's really going to be the backbone is is all the technology there ready to support this Apple Vision Pro. So let's talk a little bit about the Apple Vision Pro. This really cool piece of technology that Apple is so very proud of, as Apple is wont to be, is going to set you back a couple of coins if you decide to run out and go buy one. The pre-order begins uh, Friday, January 19th. And the shipping begins on Friday, February 2nd. So this is coming very soon. And it is $3,500, which interestingly places it in the same price tier as the Microsoft HoloLens 2. This is a multi-mode. It's a virtual reality as well as augmented reality goggles. The battery life is not that long. You do have, it is tethered. So your goggles are going to sit on top of your head and then you're going to have a power pack around your waist. And you're going to be able to have some really, really amazing views. It's going to be 3D capable. You're even going to launch with the app uh, with Disney Plus is going to come. If you buy this, you're going to get the Disney Plus with 3D movies as part of the package where you can see all the Star Wars movies and not everything on, on Disney Plus. And that's great except for you're not going to be able to watch the entire movie because you're going to have to stop and recharge in the middle of the movie to watch whatever you're watching. That's a great point, the, the limitations of the technology here. That's, you know, I'm already going to have to have the power pack sit on my hip because it's not part of the headset. Why not make it bigger? You know, why not push the lifespan to three hours or five hours? That already feels like one of the places wherever... You know, could you really not get the two-hour headsets, you know, the two-hour battery on the headset? That's one of the, the first sticking points for me. And Apple is, is very proud of this, as you mentioned. There's a lot of cool things that this can do. But as we've said, you know, since the announcement of this piece of hardware, is that it doesn't seem like a consumer piece of hardware at $3,500. Because... They talk about it as having Disney Plus attached to it, but I have a TV. And yes, my TV is much less nice, but my TV was like $300, not $3,500. And that factor of 10 matters. And Apple is really excited to tell you that this thing is going to give you 4K capability and with for the ultra high resolution displays and the the micro OLED technology has 23 million pixels inside the two displays in each one of the headsets so you're going to really really be able to see amazing levels of pictures for 2 hours for $3500 and that's 
why I think that the comparison against the HoloLens Microsoft's product is such an important one is because Microsoft knows what the HoloLens is. It is a enterprise level piece of hardware that if you go to their website and look that they have, you know, the, the standard version, they have a hazmat version and then they have a hard hat equipped version. And both are, are obviously more expensive, but those are industrial pieces of hardware that they are selling to other companies to perform a business function. They are not entertainment devices. And I think that's a key differentiator between these two you know, pieces of hardware. And I just, I'm really skeptical of the notion that there exists a market for the consumer version of that device because it seems like the, over the eight-year lifespan of the HoloLens 1 and 2 combined, they've maybe sold 400,000 units. And so if Apple is expecting to sell you know, somewhere about 400,000 units in its first single year of usage, that is optimistic. For those of you who are regular listeners to the show, we talked about this back in July when it was first announced that this was going to be launching. And we were very skeptical of the exorbitant price back then and how and the story we were talking about how they had initially said they were going to sell a million units in the first year and a half and then they scaled that back to a half million then to 400,000 and maybe 150,000 over the first 18 months worldwide so if you're only going to sell 150,000 of these units maybe 200,000 units again this is apple go buy the the macbook for $2,500 or buy an $1,100 Microsoft Surface or an HPE or a Dell, just because it's got the Apple logo on it, it does not make it an extra $1,500 worth of value. There's all kinds of these virtual reality goggles. The Oculus starts around $400 going up. There's some all the way up to $1,500, but still at $1,500, you're still $2,000 less expensive than this Apple Vision Pro. And I think that's the interesting thing here is that there already does seem to be people who are in this consumer space for headsets. You have the Oculus and, you know, you have Samsung has one, you have HTC has one, and they sit somewhere in that $500 to $1,500 range, which is about what I as a consumer would expect to pay for a piece of entertainment hardware. Maybe the actual price of the device is much higher, but whenever I think about what is reasonable for me to spend, somewhere around a a phone, somewhere around a laptop, somewhere around a TV, that's kind of where I would place a device like this. And so that's that kind of sets expectations, and Apple really hasn't done a whole lot to justify this price point being so much higher. Now, one of the things that I've heard people who are making the argument for this device say is that Apple has launched pieces of hardware in the past that people looked at and thought were boondoggles that went on to be very successful. You think about the Apple Watch, that you know it took the Apple Watch two, three, four generations where people really figured out what it was, what it did well, and that it allowed them to iterate. And now it does have a specific market. People like it. And it is a, a very adapted device. The counter to that, though, is that the Apple Watch is, again, a whole zero cheaper. It's about $300. And 
people are much more willing to that's a Christmas present. It's a nice Christmas present, but okay, you're in that like reasonable range as opposed to, you know, am I buying this or am I buying a used car? And that's just like a very different scale. Even the iPhone Pro Max is $1,100. And there's much, much more things you can do with the iPhone than you can with this Vision Pro for $3,500. I just, I have a hard time understanding who, other than the very elite, very wealthy, who are very proud of their their Macophile status, who else is going to want to use this for that kind of money. I think that's why that's reduced target sales happened. And I, I will track this number over the course of the year as they report it. I am very curious to see how does this actually land? How does it actually get implemented? What does it look like one year from now? What does it look like five years from now? So the last story we wanted to get to was kind of an important story. Twitter or X came out and said, Hey, the SEC's account was hijacked. Importantly, the Securities and Exchanges Commission, the Southeastern Conference's Twitter account, remains uncompromised. <laughs> it just means more. But the commissioner, Security Exchange Commission, Mr. Gary Gensler, had to come out with a tweet to say that the SEC, the at SEC Gov Twitter account, was compromised. And an unauthorized tweet was posted. The SEC has not approved the listing and trading of spot Bitcoin exchange traded products. So let's let's separate this story into the two parts of it. The first one is the straightforward cybersecurity aspect of it. So the way that they were able to hack the Twitter account is that someone used a SIM swap attack which means that they spoofed the SIM card of the phone that the actual Twitter account is tied to, and then they asked Twitter to refresh the password. And so then the new two-factor authentication got sent to the other phone. This is just poor cybersecurity hygiene on the part of the person who actually operates the account. And had they just been a little better, this would not have been possible. It's likely this attack was targeted and was planned and not simply something that you do on a whim. But the bigger part was those who play in the Bitcoin space and buy Bitcoin. If you get out there and say, hey, the SEC has said this is a good thing and we're going to be able to trade this on the open exchange. Well, the price is going to go way up. And so this this tweet comes out, the price of this of the Bitcoin goes skyrocketing up real fast. You who have bought it low, now it goes up high. You sell your Bitcoins. And then the story comes out, oh, no, this was this was not true. Then the price settles back down. And oh, by the way, you made a nice, hefty little gain. That is absolutely where several different branches of the government are looking right now, trying to see if they can track any of these large sell-offs, which would indicate that this was a coordinated sell-off. It's not quite sure what the end motivation was. Maybe these people just wanted to juice the price to see what would happen. Maybe they were trying to do the sell-off. I'm sure we'll know more as the story continues to develop. But it was just fascinating that they hacked the Twitter account, not just to hack the Twitter account, but to specifically send that tweet in mind saying that the SEC had approved Bitcoin exchange trade funds or ETFs when in fact they had not and just the impact and ripples that that had. 
We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo. 2.4.